This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. You might not have heard the name Elizabeth Holmes. But not so long ago, the Silicon Valley CEO was gracing the covers of magazines and giving extensive media interviews about her new technology. First, we've created these little tiny tubes, which we call the nanotainers, which are designed to replace the big traditional tubes that come from your arm and instead allow for all the testing to be done from a tiny drop from a finger. But after a meteoric rise to fame and fortune came an equally spectacular fall. Last week, inside a Californian courthouse, Elizabeth Holmes was found guilty of conspiring to defraud her investors out of billions. The verdict is in the disgraced Theranos founder and CEO found guilty on four of 11 counts in her landmark Silicon Valley fraud case. The jury reaching a verdict just moments ago after seven days of deliberations. NBC News the story starts back in 2003, when Holmes founded Theranos, a company that had the revolutionary aim of running all kinds of health tests using only a tiny sample of blood. A healthcare pioneer is being compared to visionaries like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. This morning, Elizabeth Holmes is part of the new Time 100 list just out. Her mission By 2014, Theranos had made Holmes the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. This is a revolutionary company that threatens to change healthcare the same way that Amazon changed retail, or Intel and Microsoft changed computing, or Apple, yes, changed the cell phone. It could be that huge, and you might be checking it out yourself at a Walgreens near you. The trouble was, the technology didn't work. Claims of being able to run a suite of tests on a pinprick of blood were false. And now Holmes, who pleaded not guilty and is expected to appeal, could face decades in prison. So why were Theranos' blood tests too good to be true? And could it ever actually be possible to run hundreds of tests on just a few drops of blood? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Rupert Neat, you're The Guardian's wealth correspondent, and I've really, really been looking forward to speaking to you about this, because it's Quite an extraordinary story that I know a lot of people will have been following for quite some time. And it's a story that you've been reporting on. So 
Tell us a bit more about Elizabeth Holmes and her company, Theranos. You're right. It's a fascinating story. So Elizabeth Holmes is this Silicon Valley entrepreneur who left university at 19 and set up this company that she said would transform medical testing. It rose really rapidly and she attracted uh, you know, all these rich investors. Her company soared in value at one point, approaching $9 billion, but then it all came crashing down. It was all based on these amazing promises of what Theranos was going to do. So tell us a bit about that. Elizabeth Holmes herself and her mum and her grandmother are all afraid of needles and they would faint. And she'd always said she wanted to invent something. So she claimed she'd invented a way to make blood testing more simple. So instead of having a doctor or a nurse draw blood with a syringe, you could just prick your own finger, collect a little bit of blood. We've made it possible to run comprehensive laboratory tests from a tiny sample or a few drops of blood that could be taken from a finger. And it would be so much cheaper, quicker and more efficient and less sort of scary to those people afraid of needles than the current blood testing process. This is potentially revolutionary. You just need a tiny amount of blood. And with that, you can run tons of tests. So they have all this buzz around what they're trying to do, as well as an incredible amount of investment from some very important people What happened next? They signed this really big deal with Walgreens, a US pharmacy, and they said that they could do in-store lab testing and turnaround results in 30 minutes um, with this sort of sleek box that you would put the test in, you know, the results would come out and it would cost, you know, not that much money. But it transpired that in lots of instances, they were collecting the blood and sending it to a regular lab um, and these machines had really patchy record and some people that were pregnant were told that they were miscarrying and some people that didn't have HIV were told that they were HIV positive. This is obviously quite bad for a lot of the people who were using these blood tests and it sounds like also things were beginning to unravel for Theranos. How did they move from this to Elizabeth Holmes being put on trial for fraud? Uh, An investigative journalist started looking into the sort of validity of these tests in 2015 and whistleblowers came forward as well. And with the increasing number of revelations coming out, investors got spooked and started withdrawing their money. So eventually the company collapsed into bankruptcy. A few years later, you know, it got to this stage of a trial. And what was found in the trial, she wasn't found guilty. The jury couldn't decide if she was guilty of uh, medical fraud, but they did decide that she was guilty of four counts of investor fraud. This morning, the woman once called the next Steve Jobs could be facing decades in prison after a jury found her guilty of knowingly misleading investors about her company's blood testing technology. Each of the four counts Holmes has been convicted with could carry more than a decade in jail, although we won't know the outcome of her sentencing for some time. But to really understand what happened in the Theranos story, the question is, 
What was the science that underpinned the claims the company was making? And could it have ever worked? Was it really possible for a blood testing machine to have the power to completely disrupt the healthcare industry? We can detect almost anything in your blood. I mean, we can detect infectious organisms. We can detect uh, abnormal levels of different chemicals. We can detect your immune response through all your antibodies. I mean, we can really get a whole picture into your body through the blood. This is Dr. Benjamin Mazer. He's a pathologist, an expert in lab tests that can be used to diagnose disease. I asked him how he reacted when he first heard about the company and what they were promising. I mean, this startup from this non-experienced person comes along and just says, we're going to totally disrupt your entire industry. You know, everything the way you've been doing it is obsolete. You're behind the times. We're going to do it faster, easier, cheaper, more accurately. So, yeah, when someone says that about your industry, you kind of hear about it. So... Theranos was claiming to take a single pinprick of blood from somebody's finger and then use it to run a whole range of different tests. Why exactly is it so difficult to achieve this? Yeah, so when you draw out blood from someone's veins, the normal way we do things, we stick a needle into someone's veins and draw out the blood, you're collecting what's called a venous sample. That's the blood coming through your veins and it has a certain expected chemical composition. But when you're Doing a finger prick blood, it's not the same fluid, actually. It's a mix of different fluids. It's a mix of capillary blood, the blood from the very tiniest blood vessels in your body. It's a mix of the fluid floating around your cells, the extracellular fluid. And sticking this sharp object through your tissue breaks apart a lot of your cells, and and you are collecting fluid from inside the cell, intracellular fluid. And all these things, when you stick a big, sharp lancet into someone's uh, finger, it produces a very unpredictable mix of sample that makes it hard to understand what's a normal composition, what's an abnormal composition, which is, of course, how we determine whether you're sick or not. So taking the blood from the finger itself is an issue, but the technology was also said to run on just a few drops of blood, which seems kind of impossible. It sort of almost defies the laws of physics. When you think about how blood tests are run, you're basically taking a sample of someone's blood and you're mixing it with a bunch of chemicals uh, and having a chemical reaction occur. And so as anyone who's kind of poured milk into their coffee or tea knows, once you pour that that additional liquid in, you're never pulling it back out again. It's all mixed together inextricably. And so you sort of consume blood as you're testing it. And so if you only have a couple drops, it, it sort of becomes a logistical impossibility that you could run that many tests and, uh, you know, have enough blood left to sample. And when it came to the technology as well, there were all these different tests that were promised. And at the moment, that's usually lots of different machines running different tests. And Theranos was promising to do it just on one machine. Would it be possible to get it into one box? Yeah, it's quite an engineering feat. Now, we have small devices that can run a few tests at a time, and we even have machines that can run a few tests, four or five tests. But yes, you're talking about running hundreds of tests on one machine. 
the original Theranos machine basically only had one of these technologies to run one class of tests. And they were trying to develop a new device that had more of these different technologies in it and try to stick it all in one machine. The machine simply wasn't working from everything that's been reported, right? It's not to say it's truly impossible, but there's a reason we don't routinely do it. If there were these fundamental questions of how Theranos was trying to get around these multiple different challenges, experts must have been thinking that it was probably too good to be true. So how on earth did they manage to get so much money from investors and get so far? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the most compelling question about all this, right, is how do frauds get away with their fraud? One is that they simply didn't ask enough experts. Uh, Both the media, journalists, and investors weren't doing enough consulting with, with pathologists, with other people who really understand the basis of laboratory testing. But to me, the other interesting part is Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes were extremely clever with the way they utilized secrecy to their advantage. Uh, They claimed basically all their technology was a trade secret in the U.S., which means that they didn't want to reveal really any fundamental details about how the technology worked. And so the secrecy really worked to their advantage because we're not going to go out and criticize a competitor without hard evidence. It's extremely clever in retrospect. As well as exposing Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, the trial has also highlighted what can happen when Silicon Valley culture, to move fast and break things, collides with healthcare. Theranos was very open about criticising the established laboratory industry and essentially calling them too conservative and risk-averse. And perhaps at, at times that holds us back, but I think being conservative and risk-averse is the right way to approach patient care. It's the kind of thing where you really need 100% accuracy, not 99 not 98%. And so a lot of Silicon Valley is basically based on the idea that the public is your beta tester, right? We release this imperfect product onto the public. The public helps us work out the kinks by finding everything that's wrong with it. And then ultimately our product gets better. And it does produce obviously some great consumer technology that we all use on a daily basis. But you don't want patients to be beta testers. You don't want to find out your machine doesn't work because patients get hurt. So what do you think the fallout of this whole scandal will be? I'm not sure truly how how much the Theranos debacle is going to change things. I think, especially in America, we really do have a very consumerist bent. We have this idea that we want to have as much personal health information as we can get. We want it easily accessible. We want it cheap. We want it on our terms. Even if people are maybe now a little bit more skeptical, the idea of a Theranos and what they were promising, I think is still really compelling to a lot of people. So I'm not sure that idea is going to go away. I still see us moving more and more toward direct access to laboratory results, to medical information, to be seeking out your own care and testing directly. I think that trend's going to continue. I just hope we can do it with enough safeguards that patients still get accurate results. Ben, thank you so much for coming on and explaining all of this to us. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. My thanks again to Dr. Ben Mazer and to Rupert Neat. You can find his reporting, as well as the rest of our coverage on Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, at theguardian.com. 
before you go, the climate crisis is affecting our world in severe and unexpected ways. So this year, the Guardian and Observer's annual charity appeal has been raising money to support people from around the world who have been displaced or have had their lives disrupted by the climate crisis. Head to theguardian.com forward slash charity 2021 to make a donation. That's theguardian.com forward slash charity 2021. Your contribution can make all the difference. Thank you. And that's it from us today. See you next week. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.